We are in week number four of a series that we are doing here at Ignite called I Believe in God, But, right? And we've been tackling different kind of stumbling blocks of the faith, some different things that uh, sometimes keep us from uh, either kind of fully going all in with God or, or sometimes stumbling blocks that maybe just keep us scratching our head and, and asking questions and kind of keeps us a little bit unste- un- uncertain or, um, or uneasy uh, when it comes to the Christian faith. And so we've been kind of trying to take one of these kind of topics every week, and we've been having a conversation about it. We've been exploring and digging in. We started out uh, three weeks ago, we talked about faith and doubt and sort of the way all of us experience that, right? No matter how long you've been in the Lord, there are areas and there are parts of it where we question and we struggle and we uh, kind of have to wrestle through that. So we had an honest conversation about that two weeks ago we talked about I believe in God but I just want to be happy like I just want to I just kind of want to do my own thing and go my own way and we talked about um, real and lasting joy and kind of talked about some of that kind of stuff last week we said we talked about I believe in God but I'm not so sure about the church right and and that we said that's a real common one in our culture today we kind of looked at God's plan for that and his design and and uh, even just the ways that we need uh, one another. Today, I want to talk about another one that I hear a lot, which is, I believe in God, but I'm not so sure about the Bible, right? I got got my questions, I got my doubts, I got my struggles when it comes to the Bible. I have to say, this kind of thing is perpetuated by our culture and by I don't know, just everything, the media and everything, it seems like all the time these days. Uh, Just last week, there was an article in GQ, which no worries, I'm not reading GQ on a regular basis, but it was was carried over uh, in USA Today. Pretty much a lot of the news agencies picked it up because uh, they came out with a story that uh, the the title was 21 books that you don't have to, that you don't need to read, right? You don't have to read. And they went through and they they were picking on classics, things that they thought were overrated, uh, books that were overrated. So they they picked on classics like The Catcher in the Rye or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. They picked on uh, The Lord of the Rings or The Old Man by the Sea by Hemingway. I mean, some of these are classics and they just said, you know, we kind of think they're overrated. They don't need to. And, of course, you can't, you can't you know, wait for it, right? One of, the, one of the books they mentioned was the Bible. the Bible, right? The Bible. And this is what they said. I've got this quote up there. They, they said, uh, um, I'll just read it. It says, it, they, they were talking about the Bible and said, well, it's kind of repetitive. It's self-contradictory, sensuous, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Well, actually, there's been a whole bunch of uproar that's happened as a result of this. And they're, they're kind of backpedaling a little bit right now. But we hear this kind of thing all the time, right? Don't we? In, in our culture. In fact, uh, going back a little bit, 2015 Newsweek had a front page, uh, front page kind of lead uh, on this called the Bible. So misunderstood it's sin. <laughs> this was the sub, I thought that kind of caught my attention at the time. I thought, well, man, that's pretty cool. I'd kind of like to to know what that's about. I thought, well, they're going to be talking about the ways that we misunderstand the Bible. Well, actually, uh, they were kind of saying the same thing that GQ was saying. Well, it's really not that great of a book. We think you kind of just need to step back and there's reason to doubt and question and all this stuff. And this is what their quote is in there. Loaded with contradictions and translation errors. Uh, It wasn't even written by eyewitnesses and includes words added by unknown scribes to inject church orthodoxy much later. I mean, they're, they're sort of just throwing out pot shots. Now, the interesting thing, if I can just 
throw this in, neither one of these articles I'm talking about were written, were written by biblical experts. In fact, uh, this one in Newsweek, if you check it out, was written by a Vanity Fair <laughs> writer that has no background in Bible whatsoever. And it's obvious as you kind of read through it, you're like, have they actually read the Bible? Because I'm not, I'm not so sure they have. But it's, it, this is sort of a normal part of our culture where we get bombarded with this. You turn on the History Channel sometimes and you're like, oh my gosh, like it's, this is, must be like something written by kids that nobody can understand or whatever. You, you would think from what we hear that there is no foundations or underpinnings at all for any of this stuff. That it, just, it just leaves you with questions and struggling and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And I have to say, man, uh, we read articles like this. We see stuff like this stuff gets thrown around like Facebook and social media all the time. There's, there's all kinds of articles and stuff going around. There's theories that I think sometimes get taught by well-intentioned teachers that gets taught as fact that sometimes, uh, sometimes leads us to doubt. I think there's a, just pop culture in general. There's sort of an anti-supernatural bias by the media, right, that, that kind of skews and always pushes against this kind of – but it, it, whatever the reason, it sort of leaves us doubting. It sort of leaves us wrestling saying, I don't know, maybe there's nothing to this, or maybe it's not all what we think it is, or maybe there's some parts of it that shouldn't be there or, or something, but it, I think it leads almost all of us at some point or another to say, I believe in God, but sometimes I just don't know what to do with the Bible, right? And it could be that there's, uh, that there's some things that we just, our, our science-minded uh, brains wrestle with, like, I mean, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but I'm not, so, like, the healings, like, or, like, what's up with Jonah, like, living in the belly of a fish for three, I, I just don't know what to do with that. Or maybe, you know, even the resurrection, maybe you struggle with some of that. Like, I don't know. Healings or, you know, on and on and on. I believe in the, I, I believe in God, but I'm just not so sure about all these things in the Bible. Or sometimes, I think sometimes the, the teachings of the Bible don't square with the teachings of our culture, or maybe even the values that we hold dearly or the ways that we want to live our lives. And so we wrestle with those things, right? And we say, I don't know. I mean, like, maybe it's just an old-fashioned book. Maybe it was good wisdom for back then, but maybe it's just not real applicable now. Maybe I believe in the Bible, but maybe it's old fashioned, right? Maybe, maybe, I mean, I believe in God, but maybe the Bible's old fashioned, right? Maybe it just doesn't square with my reality today. Could be that, could be a hundred of other things, but for whatever reason, it's, I think it's a real common thing that many of us wrestle with. I believe in God, but I'm not so sure about the Bible. I want to start out today, and I have to say, I uh, I'm kind of going two different directions at the same time. And so I want to start out today. I, I can't address this topic without, without kind of going after a couple of uh, super common misconceptions, two that these articles, in fact, kind of go after. Because like I said, we're led to believe like there is nothing, there is no underpinnings. There's nothing that backs up the claims of this book. Like this is just blind faith, or you can take the reality which you see in the real world in which these articles are talking about. But, but I think what the truth is, you kind of with me? I'm sorry, I'm kind of just, I'm trying to, trying to communicate well. Hopefully I'm doing okay. But, but I, I, I think, here, here's, here's what I'm saying. I think there's a lot more reason to believe this than we are ever told, than, than is ever hinted in our direction, than these kinds of articles ever even think about or mention. I think there's reasons that we can have confidence and put our trust in the words contained in this book that, that, that actually sets this book apart from any other book ever written in, in human history, right? It, reasons that we can have confidence to put our faith and our trust in the God of this Bible and that we can, we, we can come to even know and understand that uh, these aren't just a good history. It's not just good moral teachings, 
right? It, it moves, it is, but it moves way beyond. It's not just a story or a history about Jesus, but I think we can come to have confidence enough and trust enough that we can read this and open up these, these pages and say, you know what, I think, I think it's the very words of God, and I'm going to live my life accordingly. So let me, let me kind of hit a couple of what I think are kind of fallacies or a couple of, um, I mean, I don't know. I think I even call them in my message someplace uh, urban legends almost. I mean, it's almost like that kind of thing. Things that get perpetuated, things that get talked about, things that we read in Newsweek or in little Facebook things that just aren't true if you step back and look at the facts. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out looking at, at, at two of those, and then I'm going to move on and, and push on a couple other things related to this. First thing I want to talk about is the reliability, the historical, specifically historical re- reliability of the Bible. Because, uh, like I said, the, the, those articles that we just read kind of call that into question. And they say, you know what, it's just not true. It just doesn't line up. There's all kinds of errors and all kinds of whatever. And I think a closer look would, would, would tell you anything but that. Look at this one passage. This one I just learned about this week. I thought this was fascinating. Luke 3, Luke especially, but the gospel writers and many of the biblical writers uh, are unbelievably uh, specific when they write about things. They will include dates, people, places, times, rulers, all kinds of things, very specific, things that are easy to go back and double check. Listen to how many there are in this one, by the way. Luke 3, there's just two verses from, from the gospel according to Luke. It says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of Ituria, and uh, Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetriarch of Abilene. By the way, I went to seminary for this. Aren't you glad you're not up here trying to read these names? I I still struggle with these. But, and Licinius, tetriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Okay, again, pause and just step back and say, do you believe the level of specificity in this? This isn't like, this isn't fairy tale language. This isn't, this isn't just once upon a time in a magical far off kingdom of unicorns and rainbows, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, it's written like with concrete facts that are all the way through this, right? I mean, in fact, so much that it's hard to read, right? You're like, what's up with this? But there, there are actually in two verses, there are six historical facts that are, that are spelled out in here that you can go back and double check against um, the his, uh, secular history. You can go back and double check it against, um, uh, man, my brain is like not on, what do you call that? The archaeological record and that kind of stuff, right? There's, there's things that you can double check. Uh, the, who, who is the rulers? Who is, what was that? Old age. Old age, exactly right. <laughs> A little senior moment there. <laughs> but it's crazy. It, what ends up happening, though, is we often zero in on on the one or, or two things that maybe haven't been confirmed yet. Like, for instance, in this very passage, uh, it talks about Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene. He's a ruler in Abilene. And uh, the historical record for, for years, actually for hundreds of years, uh, showed that Licinius was actually a, a ruler there 50 years beforehand. So he, he'd been dead uh, by the time this passage uh, is referring to. And so people kind of focused in on that and said, see, right? The whole thing's a hoax, right? This is made up. He wasn't even the right ruler. You kind of ignore the other five pieces that are backed up and focus on the six. Well, not, I mean, just in the last few years, they uncovered a, uh, an inscription that they found uh, that, that, that referred to the fact that there was actually a second one, his son or grandson or something like that, right? Like not unlike we might say, 
you know, Michael and Michael Jr. and Michael III or something. It's, it's like that kind of a thing. Well, his son or grandson was actually also named Licinius, and it, it was proven that he was actually the Tetrarch in Abilene in this era. Isn't that crazy? Six for six. Proving once again, I mean, there's reasons to back this stuff up. And the, the historical record, arch, the archaeological record says, you know what? This thing is accurate. Let me give you one more. I shared this one a couple years ago, but I always think this is just cool, and I've got a personal connection to it. The, the uh, Old Testament especially talks about the Hittite people. It's a Hittite nation. And, uh, and over and over again, uh, up until the early 20th century, uh, Archaeology had uncovered zero, uh, zero cities, zero references to the Hittite nation. And so, again, they kind of said, well, see, this whole thing's made up. It's false. There's nothing to it. Until uh, the early to middle part of the 20th century, uh, they uncovered um, actually the, the uh, capital city of the Hittite nation. And not only that, but they uh, uncovered 20 or 40 other cities that made up its empire. <laughs> proving once again that the biblical account was accurate. In fact, here's a picture of a friend of mine. He's getting his uh, PhD in archaeology and ancient languages from Harvard. He's, there he is outside the lion's gate. It's the, the gate outside the capital city of the Hittite empire, right? Again, pretty cool stuff, right? I mean, you, you, these are just sort of random. But there are hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of pieces of information like that contained in this book. And it's amazing, but they get, they get proven to be accurate again and again and again. Listen to a couple of these quotes. I thought this is, this is crazy. Again, just, it just shows the accuracy and the historical reliability of the Bible. This is from William Craig. Um, he is, uh, he's a historian and an author. He's talking about Luke's writings, uh, and he says this. He says, each city, town, and village... Uh, or uh, go back. I'm amazed at Luke's grasp of government as he cites the official names of the prelates, magistrates, proconsuls, and governors of his day. It would have been pretty easy to get at least one of them wrong, but he doesn't. He gets every single one of them exactly right. It's incredible. Another Jewish archaeologist, kind of an expert in his field, uh, says this. He says it may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever been discovered that has controverted or disproven a biblical reference. Isn't that crazy? He's saying, it, he's saying what we see in the archaeological record, what we see from history, squares up exactly with the history found in this book. My point is it's a book unlike any other. It's a book that can be trusted. It's amazingly accurate, even down to the littlest detail of who was the ruler when, or who was the son of whom, or whatever. It is unbelievably accurate. You can trust it. You can. It's the first kind of, uh, kind of urban legend or myth that I wanted to expose. The second one, uh, I'll just hit kind of briefly, and that's, that's this one that and it gets talked about all the time where they'll say, well, especially when it comes to the Gospels, the stories, the biographies written about Jesus, they'll say, well, they weren't even written in the first century. They were written dozens or maybe even hundreds of years after the death of any eyewitnesses. They're, they're just fairy tales. They are made up. And, and it's a big deal, right? Because if these weren't eyewitness testimonies, then you kind of think, well, maybe they could have been made up. Maybe they, maybe they don't know, right? It, it kind of leaves questions in your mark. And you hear this kind of thing over and over. It gets passed on. You'll hear people talk about it all the time. But it's simply not true. Um, just to, for perspective, right? Jesus died around when? 
33, right? 33 AD, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood. So most of the, the New Testament then was written after his death, after his resurrection. So probably between 35 or 40 AD and 80 or 90 was like the last one. So uh, with again, within the lifespan, within the, um, um, uh, yeah, the lifespan of eyewitnesses. This is pretty cool. Go to the next slide if you would. So here, this is a parchment. It's actually in Manchester, England. Uh, it's dated 130 AD. It contains a large chunk of the Gospel of John. The, real, the really interesting piece of this is that it's already been translated into Egyptian by hand and transported to Egypt. Now, again, this is before the days of the printing press, like way before the days of the printing press. Talk about copying the Gospel of John. How long do you think that would take? to accurately transcribe and to translate and copy and then transport, it would take years, right? This is not something that gets, gets done via email or like you don't text it to, I mean, this is, this is back in the day when everything was hand done. It took years. In fact, uh, most experts would date this relic saying it was probably written around 80 AD. How do you square with that? Like, it, that's well within the lifetime of eyewitnesses, of people that were there, people that saw, people that would remember. If you were just making this stuff up, the religious leaders, especially the Jewish leaders, would have been happy to count them wrong. They would have been happy to go on record and say, no, this is all just a bunch of baloney. They're making it up, right? But, but that's not what happened because it's true, I might add. 130 AD, and that's not the only one. There's tons of them, dozens of them that fall within those, those uh, first 50 to 100 years just the, after the, the, uh, the birth of Christ. Copies that we have that, that point back to say the originals were well within the first century. Pretty cool stuff. In addition to that, there, there's writings of what, like, what they call the early church fathers. Like there's a guy by the name of Ignatius. He was a disciple of John, right? As in the disciple John, as in the writer of the gospel, as in all that kind of stuff, right? The disciple John, uh, he was uh, uh, also the bishop of Antioch, right, kind of thing. And uh, he was martyred, uh, uh, historians agree, across the board. He was martyred in 110 A.D., and yet we have writings from him that quote from Matthew, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 10 other New Testament books. Well, if he died by 110 AD and he quoted from all those books, what does that tell you about when they were probably written? In the first century, right? In the first century. And not only were they written, but they were distributed. Again, it gives you confidence saying, you know what? These are within the, the, the time of eyewitnesses. Again, it's a big deal. I don't, I don't know if you're tracking with me, but it, it makes a difference. Because all of this stuff is just saying, you know what? You can have confidence in this. This, this, is, this is the real deal. This isn't just fairy tales or fairy stories made up later to kind of by, uh, I forget what their language is, but by people kind of inserting, right, what they want to believe in their theology and their dogma into this kind of thing. These are, these are writings that we have from the first century from people who walked with Jesus, who saw with their own eyes, some of which, you know, experienced uh, incredible transformation and life change and whatever. As they met and walked with Jesus, they've put it down. God through them has put it down in his book. It's incredible, right? We can have confidence. It's a book like no other. I will just mention one more kind of final thing with this. Even if we didn't have uh, 
the, the Bible, even if we didn't have Christian writings in general, even from secular, non-Christian, sometimes anti-Christian historians, Roman historians, Roman historians, Pharisees who killed Jesus, Jewish historians, even two Roman Caesars, we could, uh, they recorded events that paralleled the Bible, including that Jesus was a Jewish teacher, that uh, many people believe that he performed healings and exorcisms, miracles, that he was rejected by the Jewish leaders, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that his followers and many others believe that he rose from the dead. And by the early second century AD, many people worshiped him as God. You can tell all that without anything from anybody that believed. Isn't that crazy? This isn't just made up. This isn't just fairy tales. There's confidence. There's reasons to believe, reasons that we can have confidence that this is, this is historically accurate. It's written in, in a time frame that, that uh, people could have seen and known and that we can put our, our trust in this book. Man, I could keep going on this stuff all day. There's tons of great stuff that backs up the claims of Jesus. We did a, a series on it maybe two years ago uh, called Skeptics Wanted. If you want to find out more, you can go back on our website or on the app and listen to those, but there's great stuff. There's, there's hundreds of prophecies that are written that are fulfilled in amazingly accurate detail. It's incredible. Uh, there's, you know, the, his, the historical uh, reliability is unparalleled. There's archaeological evidence galore. All of these things just telling us, man, it's a book like no other. Still today, people in this room, people like me would tell you that we've encountered the living God in the pages of this book, that he has spoken, that he has transformed, that he's changed our lives in our eternities because we've opened up this book. It's like no other. Amen. All right. I think uh, if we're honest, most of the time I think we struggle with this book not because of the historical record, because the historical record is actually pretty compelling. I think most of the time, if we're honest, we struggle for probably one of three reasons. Uh, number one, put up that next slide if you would. I think the number one reason by far is that we simply don't know what it says. And so we take others, what other people say and we just believe it, right? We don't actually know what it says. There's been study after study after study that have found that uh, Ameri the, the level of um, uh, biblical knowledge or biblical literacy is at an is at an all-time low. It's never been lower in the history of our country. We just don't read the Bible. We just don't know the Bible. One study done by George Barna uh, I ran across this week said this. I thought this was crazy. He said 65% of Americans believe that the Bible contains answers to the most important questions of life. And yet out of that 65%, there's a 24% that say, or 28% that say they've never once opened up the book. I'm like, so you believe that this book contains answers to the most important questions of life. Like, this is the good stuff, the main stuff about, about life, and yet I never bothered to crack the book? Like, seriously, that's the, but that's sort of our culture. It's sort of our society. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody or anything, but this is our reality. We're too busy, we're too whatever, and so we just don't open up this book. So then anytime Newsweek or Facebook or anything else puts something out there, it makes us question because we simply don't know what it says. Uh, and so we take others' word for it. Second one is maybe we don't understand it, and especially understand how it all fits together. And I get it. And there's there's some uh, there's some validity to that. I think there's some some parts of the Bible I still don't understand. Right? Like so, some parts that you read, and you're like you scratch your head, and you're like I, I don't fully 
get it. I don't fully understand it, but you can kind of, there's, there's some ways that we can understand how it fits into the whole picture, the whole story of the Bible. It's important, but, but that, that could be an honest thing. I, I will say on that, I think we can know enough, right? I think we can know, I think you can know 90 or 95 or 98 or 99%, right? It was a, a good portion where you look at it, you're like, man, this rings true in my life. I've seen it and experienced it as true. I've seen how it works in other people's lives. I, it squares with what I see and what I know. The Holy Spirit confirms it. We, we can have confidence enough that even the few little parts where like, I don't fully get it, we can have confidence to say, I still think it's the word of God, right? I still, I, I, I don't get it sometimes, but I believe it, right? We can have confidence enough. The third thing, and this one I think is more common than you think, and I, I kind of smell this behind like the GQ article. I smell this a little bit behind the, the Newsweek article and some of these things sometimes, but sometimes we're just looking for a reason to discredit it because we don't, because if this book is true, it has implications for our lives and how we're living that we just don't like. And so we will look for any and every reason to say, oh, you're not going to listen to that old book, are you? It's full of contradictions. Well, name one. I don't actually know any, but, right? but we're kind of looking for some reason to, to discredit it, right? It's because we don't want to have to square our lives with it. It makes us uncomfortable. Well, I'm going to kind of go after, if I can, uh, one and three especially. Uh, number two, uh, like I said, I, I gave a little bit of an answer to. We could spend a whole week on it. We, we do quite often. Uh, in fact, we spend pretty much every week on, on trying to help you understand the book. And so uh, we're going to go there. But let me just contrast, uh, especially that last one. We're looking for a reason to discredit. Let me contrast that because it's true. Sometimes I think all of us experience this. We're like, I'm a little bit afraid if I, because this requires me to live in ways that I don't want to live all the time. And it kind of raises questions like, do I really trust God? Do I really want to follow him with this stuff? And I ran across Psalm 119 this week. Uh, it's longest uh, chapter in the Bible. It's got like 176 verses or something like that. It's crazy long. And the whole thing is uh, the psalmist is just writing about his delight in the law of the Lord and in the truth in the, of the, the word, the word of God, so to speak, and how great it is to him. So many of the benefits that he experiences as he opens up this book and as he reads it and applies it to his life. And I, I kind of summarized them here, but listen to this. This is crazy. He says, because of your word, right? Because of your instruction, because of your living words of life, when I read them and apply them to my life, he says this. He says, I am blessed. I am not put to shame. Because of your word, he says, I am made pure. Because of your word, I don't stray. I don't sin against the Lord. I rejoice. Because of your word, my life is protected and I'm strengthened. My heart is set free. Because of your word, I'm given hope. I'm given great peace. I am comforted. I am kept from going astray. I am made wise. I have insight. My path is guided. I am upheld. I am sustained. My footsteps are directed and I'm redeemed and saved. I'm rescued again and again. Does that sound like the words of somebody that says, this is somebody that says, I've tried it. I've devoted myself to reading and applying these books. And he's like, and in, and in, in fact, it's not bad. Like, like number three suggests, it's, it's not that God's trying to keep us from experiencing the good life. This is, this is the good life. This is the good stuff. This is where hope and peace and salvation are found. This is how God directs our steps and shapes our hearts. This is how he leads us into love and into peace and into hope and everything else. This this is where life is found. 
You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to go anywhere else. God's book is amazing, friends. It is unlike any other. Generations of people for thousands of years have found life and hope and newness and rescue, even a relationship with the living God himself in the pages of this book. I think as 21st century Americans, we just often underestimate the power of it. We underestimate the reliability of it. We, we underestimate how good it is for us to open this book, read it, and respond to it. It's worth a good stuff, is that? It really is. So for the rest of our time this morning, I'm just going to uh, offer three kind of challenges to you regarding this book. Three challenges that if you'll accept them and put them into practice, your life will be transformed. God's word will be unlocked for you. You'll discover wisdom and life and hope and peace for you. You'll even discover more and more of the living God himself. If you want to understand this book, if you want to get the most out of this book, then do these three things. The first one is this. They all start with letter A because, you know, I'm a pastor like that. But the, <laughs> but the first one is just absorb it, right? Meaning instead of just taking other people's word for it, let's open up the book and actually read it for ourselves, right? Let's, let's open it up and read it. Let's, and not just read it, not just like have your eyes pass over the words, because I get it. I mean, I'm busy sometimes too, and you'll kind of look over, like I got to have my Bible time, so I'll open it up and I'll start reading, and I'll get to the end of a portion. I'll be like, I don't think I have any idea what I just read. My eyes went over it, but I didn't actually think. And so uh, the Bible encourages not just to read it, but to meditate on it, to think about it, to, to think about what does this mean for me? How could this impact my day? How should I align my life to this truth? What, what do I need to know more about God from this or about me from this? Or right, kind of what needs to change? What needs to happen in me? Does that make sense? Psalm 1 is a, a classic place. It says, blessed is the one who just doesn't walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way uh, that, that sinners take or sit in the, the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and, and he meditates on his law day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on uh, that word, on that law, he meditates, he thinks about, he runs through his head over and over, day and night. The, ba the main reason, friends, that people don't understand the Bible is they just don't read it, right? And, and so this one just pushes in on that a little bit. Man, we need to absorb the word of God into our lives. We need to open it up and read it. I, I was uh, thinking this weekend, thinking, man, 15 minutes a day. If 65% of us believe this is the most important book, right, that it, it has the answers to life's most important question, if 65% of us believe that, then would you take 10 or 15 minutes a day and just read it, read a chapter or two or three. If you do that, you could read all the way through the New Testament and the Psalms and part of the Old Testament in one year. You could get his word in it. You could absorb it. You could think about it and start asking, what, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? You will never regret it. I've never, I've never once heard somebody that said, oh, man, I was having a rough day, and then I opened up God's word, and oh, kind of blew my whole day, right? I mean, kind of like I just ruined everything. It just kind of ruined everything, right? I mean, you never, you never hear that. What I do hear, what I do hear is, I mean, sometimes people say, I, I was having a rough day, I opened it up and I didn't get it, right? I've heard that before. But oftentimes what happens is, is people say, man, I was having a rough day. I opened up his word and God spoke, right? God spoke to me. He, ministered, he encouraged my soul, right? He lifted my eyes up to him. Suddenly I could sense his peace and know his presence in the midst of whatever was happening. It was it's the good stuff. But it starts by opening this thing. A dusty copy of this on your coffee table does nothing. 
It might make you more religious. Hey, look how many Bibles I have. It's like Christian pickup lines or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, 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 like, but like it doesn't do anything until we open it up and get God's word into us. That's where the good stuff happens. So we've got to absorb it. I better keep going. God says, you are blessed when you open that up, when you meditate on his law and his word day and night. Blessed, happy, filled by God. It's the one who does that and puts it into practice. All right. Uh, absorb it. Second one, right, is apply it. And this one, we talk about this fairly regularly around here. But we, the, the point of God's word, we're not just trying to do it to learn stuff. Sometimes we get this weird American Christianity thing that says, man, somebody that's spiritually mature, that really is religious and all this kind of stuff, they just know so much stuff. And I have to say, I'm not sure that's true. The Pharisees, right, the religious leaders, the people that Jesus had absolutely the hardest time with in his day, he had the most confrontation, he had the harshest words, you know, kind of with these, these religious leaders. You know what the reality was? They would have had the Old Testament memorized. They knew the word. They knew about God, but their hearts were not transformed. They weren't doing it. They weren't putting it into practice. They weren't experiencing God in the midst of it. It's got to be more than just information. It, the, the point of the Bible is not just for information, but to lead us to transformation, to, to have our hearts and lives be transformed by Jesus, who we meet in the pages of this book, and to learn to walk with him in right relationship with him. Right? That's where the good stuff is at. I get so tired of seeing and hearing people that know so much. I mean, you see this on Facebook all the time. Know so much about the Bible, and yet what comes out of their fingers, or whatever that is on Facebook. I, I was going to say mouse, but that's not quite right. But, uh, what, what, but what you see from them is filled with hatred, right? Is filled with, I mean, hypocrisy is filled with all kinds of stuff. I mean, they just, if you don't believe what they believe or agree with their political view or whatever else, it's just like... Bam! And you're like, man, I, I see you know about God. You know about the word, but there hasn't been a transformation. I mean, listen to some of these verses. This, there's some crazy ones. This one's uh, straight out of the mouth of Jesus. John 17, or John 13, 17. He just gets done washing his disciples' feet, right? And he's talking about service and kind of choosing the path of being the least and the lowest and the servant of all. And he says this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you, what's that word say? Do them. You'll be blessed if you know about them. Is that what he says? He says, you'll be blessed if you serve, right? He's like, I don't need you to know about serving. I need you to serve. Let, let my heart become your heart. Let my actions inform and, 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 and few, it can spill out over into your life. James one twenty two. James just kind of, he's a straight shooter. He puts it this way. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? The point, the, the word is always meant to bring transformation. There's always an action component to faith. There's always a, an action component to, to living out and to applying the word of God into our lives. I heard a pastor one time, Stephen Furtick, uh, he has a great example about this. He goes, imagine if, uh, if you've got a, a teenage I'll say daughter, <laughs> hypothetically. But uh, imagine that you have a teenage kid, uh, and their room is absolutely a pit. He's like, and imagine if you, as a dad, went up to your teenage daughter and said, you know, your room is a pit. I need you to clean it for me. And what if your teenage daughter stepped back and said, oh, that's deep. Oh, mm, that's, that's really, that's, that's good, dad. 
I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to journal um, about that. I'm going I'm to write down and think more about clean, you know, cleaning my room and that kind of stuff. That's, that's great. In fact, a little bit later, I'm going to go and I'm going to get some of my friends together. We're going to have a little small group and we're going to study the, in the original language, like what the meaning of the word clean really means. And we're going to, we're just going to soak in that and it's going to be so good. I mean, imagine. He said, I mean, if you're a dad, what would you say if your kid responded that way? Are you out of your mind, right? I mean, I don't, you don't need to know the Greek word for clean. You don't need to, whatever. You know what I need you to do? I need you to clean your room. Do it, right? There's, and I think that's, to some degree, that's what the Bible's getting at here. Saying, you know what Jesus is saying? You know, you're not going to be blessed if you think about it or if you know these things. You will be blessed if you do it, right? If you put it into practice. James says, if you, if you know it, but it doesn't leak out into your actions, you are deceiving yourself. You're only fooling yourself. The, Bible, the, the point isn't information. The point is transformation. I love this one. Uh, this is John 5. He's, Jesus, again, is talking to the religious leaders. And again, he's having some, boom, he's having some harsh words here. And it says this, and Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify, that point to me, right? He says, and yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Again, it's the same kind of principle. He's saying, so you know the word. Again, they would have had the Old Testament memorized. They knew the word, but they refused to respond to Jesus. They refused to submit to him. They refused to allow him to transform their lives. And he said, if you do that, you're missing it. The point of the word, yes, we have to absorb it, but then we need to apply it. It needs to, it needs to transform our way of life. All right, I better keep going. Uh, third one. Uh, is to accept its authority. And that's kind of where I'm taking it today. Accept uh, it as your authority. Authority is basically what you base your decisions off of. All of us have different sources of authority, right? Things that when, when peop, maybe people, people, when they speak, you tend to just accept it as true and it, and it kind of impacts uh, how you're going to live. So they say something like Oprah was the classic one of this, right? Oprah's book list, if she would mention a book, it would go to the number one of the New York Times bestseller list, Right. Because people accepted what she said as truth, right? They said, she's sort of my source of authority. You know, so they would respond. They'd run out and buy the book or whatever, that kind of a thing, right? All of us have people like that. It could be friends. It could be family. It could be our own opinions or our own gut, our own uh, pleasure, our own whatever. But we have sources of authority. Sometimes we, we read stuff on Facebook from friends or whatever. When we think, oh, yeah, I think that's true. We kind of accept it. And it, it impacts how we live. It impacts uh, what we say, what we we do, uh, how we want to fit in, all of that kind of stuff. But uh, I'll tell you what, here's, here's what I think happens. I think uh, by and large, the majority of the time, as we start absorbing the words of this book and we start reading, actually our eyes start going over, we start thinking about it, we start getting this into our heart, into our, into our minds both, uh, and we start applying it, you know, we start learning, we start saying, this stuff works. It, it's, not just, it's not just words, it's not just good moral teachings, but when I put it into practice in my life, it's amazing. We start reading this and suddenly we start encountering the living God in the midst of its pages. And I think as we start doing that, many of you have come to the same conclusion. We start saying, you know, I think it's not just a, a good historically reliable book. I think it's the very words of God. 
And if we come to that kind of conclusion that this is a God-breathed book, that this is that God is the author, the, the, the author kind of underneath the authors, that he is the one that, that inspired this and spoke and put his word down for us, if we start believing that, then all of a sudden we need to have that become our source of authority, saying, I'm going to align my life to this book. I'm not going to, if, if my actions and what the Bible teaches are not in alignment, then which one of us is wrong? It's me. It's not the Bible, right? It's, it's me. And I want to align myself. I want this book to be the driving force of my life. And again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I've never once heard somebody say they, they regretted doing that, right? Man, I was going through a rough spot in my life and whatever. And, you know, I read the Bible and man, my, you know, and I got freed from drugs and alcohol, and it's been terrible ever since. You know, I mean, you just don't, you don't hear that story. Like, it's been, it, but, but what you do hear again and again and again is that people find freedom in the pages of this book. People grow in their walk with God. They, they come to life. They experience joy. They come to know the presence of the living God. It's an amazing book. It is unlike any other book. Oh, man, I'm running way out of time. But uh, the Bible warns us about kind of looking elsewhere to other sources of authority. There's a couple I'll throw up here if we can. There it is. Proverbs 16 says it this way. It says, there's a way that appears to be right, or a way that seems right to a man, it says. But in the end, it leads to death. I think that's true. I think there's, there's a, we have a bent. Sometimes we think, oh, I know what to do. I'm just going to go with whatever my gut tells me, or whatever feels good or whatever I want. I'm just going to live my life with me being my own source of authority. The Bible, the Bible kind of warns us, but you need to be real careful of that. It doesn't lead a lot of times where you think it does. And Judges is, is, has a great example. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, and everybody just did as they saw fit. How do you think that worked out for them as a country? Right? It was like an airplane driving straight into the ground. It was, it was anarchy. In fact, the experts say if only 10% of the population of any country uh, decides to ignore a lo- you know, the laws of the land, it'll be complete anarchy. Imagine one person out of 10 refusing to stop for a stoplight. How would that impact our culture? It'd be... It'd be a wreck, right? Literally, like it'd be, it'd be bad. But they're like, this is what it's saying. When, when, when everybody just lives and does what seems right to them, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. And so God says, man, you need to be real careful. That instead, it's saying you need to actually put God as your source of authority. Why? Because He's the only one that's all knowing. He's the only one that's all wise. He's the only one worthy, and. Uh, uh, of our uh, obedience, worthy uh, of being the source of authority for our lives. I'm going to skip that next story, the 178 seconds to live. It's a good one. Second Timothy uh, 3.16 puts it this way. Jump. Yeah, thanks. It says this. It says, all scripture is God breathed, inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to live in a way that is right. Friends, the Bible is the ultimate source of authority for our lives. God's book is completely reliable. It's unbelievably trustworthy. His truth does not change, and you and I can stake our lives on it. Do do we always answer and understand every single passage in here? No, but we understand and know enough to say this is a solid foundation. People for thousands of years have built their lives on it, and it's good. It's reliable, and in fact, it is God-breathed, right? He's speaking to you. He is speaking to me. 
In fact, even this morning, I think God is, is nudging us and calling us, saying, would you just open up this book? Would you absorb it? Would you start reading it? Would you, and would you not stop with just letting your eyes go over the page, but would you, would you think about it and would you apply it to your life? And as you come to know him, as you come to, to, uh, to follow him, as you come to, to recognize his truth and his word and his spirit and his leading, would you accept him and accept his word as a source, as a driving force and the source of authority for your life, saying, you know what, I'm in, God. I want to follow you. I, I want you to be my God. I want your truth to lead my life. I want your wisdom to inform me so that I can say, like the psalmist or even how, uh, Ma- uh, how the gospel writer Matthew describes as Jesus is speaking here, right? But go to the next one if you would. And say, it's good. When we do this kind of thing, it's good. Listen to this. This is Jesus' words here. He says, therefore, everybody who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I'm telling you what, friends, let's build our lives on the rock. Well, let me, uh, if you're comfortable, let me just say this. Let's, I want to wrap up in prayer. But uh, if you're comfortable this morning and, and ready, I just encourage you just to kind of open up your hands just as a way to say, God, I need you and I want you. And I, I just invite you in and just let's, let's pray and kind of open up our hands and our hearts to God. Just pray with me if you would. Father, I, I just, even in this moment, even in this place, God, we just want to cry out for you pray that you would come and that you would draw us close. Forgive us, God, for so often being our own source of authority for going our own way. And man, we have made wrecks of our lives again and again. Even those relationships of people around us, would you forgive us? Forgive us for too often, God, all of us, I think probably too often living our lives with the Bible closed. Instead, God, would you... uh, even this morning, just draw us close, God. Pray that you would lead us and direct us this week today even to open up your book, to absorb it. Help us to not just read it, but to apply it to our lives. And may we accept your authority and its authority. Would you lead and guide us? Would you direct us? God, not that this is a legalistic thing. Certainly, uh, screwed up. We can't do enough on our own. We can't obey it all the time. Whatever. Would you pour out your grace on us? Would you lead us to Jesus? Would you open our eyes to see and know you more, to walk in your truth, to delight in your word? And as we do, God, would you transform us? Would you bring us to life? Would you open our eyes to Jesus again and again and again? Would you be glorified in us. Would you work out your good in us and would you you move us out on your mission to shine for you in a world that desperately needs Jesus. We submit to you this morning. We invite you here into our lives again this morning to just come and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray.